actually these official responsibilities do in fact are financialized uh-huh. and plenty. Yeah. If you're sure. talking about those responsibilities, you're talking about interest rates, uh-huh. economic growth, uh-huh. inflation, safety and soundness of banks, right, right. fair lending practices, all of these together set the stage for jobs, incomes, car loans, mortgages, anything the household has to do financially is is affected by this bigger economic and financial environment. So I have a safety net and a curb all hemming me uh, and helping me uh, and the Fed and, and from the Fed, and I don't even see it most of the time. Well, Bart, that's a good way to look at it. Yeah. Everything, the environment that you that households deal in is affected by many things, among them the Fed's policy decisions. Well, uh, with that teasingly tasteful nosh to today's Feast of Wisdom, now allow me to fill my, fulfill my duties as proper host and lay before you a few utensils for furthering today's feast. And the first utensil, as I always do, allow me to remind everyone hearing my voice that the good Lord has gifted you with the title and privileges of Chief Executive Officer of yourself. And since that's the most important job you'll ever hold in your career, uh, may I ask, will this be the day that you rise and determine just how much you're contributing and take some justifiable pride in what you're building for, uh, within our society? Or will you allow the deity of greed to slip its nose ring twixt your nostrils and make you a slave for the next buck and the next? The choice, my friend, is truly yours. And as a second utensil, I can sense you your yearning to steep your lips into a little laughter. Uh, so let's take a scriptural recitation from the 102 Best Business Quips book. And here we go, here we go, we're coming right up to it. All right. Oh, this is this is number uh, 95. Our company has a very aged staff. We allow no employee to retire until he's accomplished something. Uh, and as an afterthought, you know, do you have any plans, my friend? Are you planning to build yourself some pride this week? Uh, and just as important, does your supervisor know what you're trying to create? Do you enthusiastically keep her abreast of uh, all your efforts? Just a thought. And if you smirked a bit over that, quit. We have them literally by the books full. Just visit bartsbooks.com and pick up your copy of 102 Best Business Quips books, and you will find your own witty self centered in the attention of all your fellow wage slaves as you lift their day with a little levity. And it's a third utensil, um, and we may sumptuously spoon out to you the answer to last week's business quotation, and that is the name of the author who said, any government that robs Peter to pay Paul can always count on the support of Paul. <laughs> Those words were spoken by none other than the slashing-witted playwright, Mr. George Bernard Shaw. So stick with us, uh, because later on in the show, blurting your way, comes yet another enriching quotations. And if you know the name of that sage, just scribble that author's name down as you believe him or her to be, and send it right off to info at bartsbooks.com. That's I-N-F-O at bartsbooks.com. And if you're correct, your knowledge will earn you uh, a career-igniting gift, freshly disemboweled from the dungeons of Bart's Books Bookstore. So, with our utensils in hand, I think it's time to deposit a little more understanding in your vaults as Mr. Howard Howe, uh, veteran uh, assistant vice president of the Federal Reserve, continues unraveling the Fed's mysteries. Howard, uh, 
could you share with us a little bit about your career? What brought you to the Fed, by the way? And and uh, what uh, what did you do when you arrived there throughout these many years? I went to the Fed. I went to the Board of Governors of the Fed in mm-hmm. Washington after I did my graduate economics work. Oh, that must have been uh, and it was really a great time to be there. Mm-hmm. Uh, when I went there, it was the early days of flexible exchange rates. Which was when? Early 1970s. Oh. After President Nixon took the U.S. economy off right. the gold standard. Oh, my goodness. Flexible exchange rates. And it was a terrific time to be at the board because there yeah. was a, a lot of work to be done. And uh, the board did a good job of supporting all that. You know, I think... Those of us who are old enough to remember that will know that it came off. There was a lot of talk, but the happenstance carried very seamlessly, didn't it? It did. At least for for me, Joe Consumer. Well, and and it it turned out that this gold standard was important for the global economy at a given point in time. Mm -hmm. But it also, uh, the U.S. being the largest economy being an open economy, uh-huh. the gold standard imposed stresses that just up disrupted our economy. And yeah. in and hindsight, limitations. It, was, it was a good thing right, to right. go off uh-huh. the gold standard. Uh-huh. Goes to show. That's, that's amazing. Oh, by the way, uh, you also, I know, you've got a Ph.D. from Penn in economics. I'd like you to just give us what the title of your thesis. This is You're going to love this. What, what The title of your thesis was... Uh, estimation of the linear and quadratic expenditures systems, a case study for Columbia. Well, there you go. Now, and you say any idiot can 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 be a uh, can get a, uh, a PhD in economics. <laughs> no, my friends, there are a lot wiser minds governing our cash than you might be aware. Um, and uh, Howard, the, the Fed is, as you uh, mentioned earlier is supposed to supervise and regulate financial institutions. Now, the SEC has, under this current administration, had its uh, abilities to uh, supervise and regulate curtails uh, noticeably. Has this happened in the Fed? Well, let's go back just a little bit. Let's go back to 2010 in the wake of the crisis. Right. Uh, right. Congress passed the uh, Dodd-Frank Act. Right. I remember that. Uh, the Dodd-Frank Act uh, tightened financial regulation quite a bit. Right. Uh, it gave the Fed more responsibilities for financial regulation. It gave the Fed the ability to uh, impose tighter, tougher capital standards on the big banks. Um, we're uh, 2017 now. Right. Yes, sir. Washington is talking about backing away a little bit. Is this a standard ebb and flow? I mean, I know very many people, uh, our current president is a very upheaving president, let's be, be honest, but is, is this sort of a, a historic, this this regulation, ebb and flow, or is this, is this unusual? There's a pendulum in any kind of policy action, and especially in regulation. Uh, the Dodd-Franks, I don't know how many pages of rules and regulations... <laughs> Uh, is imperfect, but you want to be careful not to throw the baby out with the bathwater. Good for you. Um, uh, Jerry Ellen made a point in uh, one of her recent speeches uh, that uh, there's very little evidence that regulation has limited access to capital. 
I yeah. So we hear I, I couldn't agree. We with hear you. the burden of overregulation. Um, well, I think I think there's a heavy component of ideological reflex in that. I also think that the ones who groan the most about regulations are the ones who are nudging the far edge of uh, the legality and the ethics uh, themselves. Uh, and I think that's where we hear most of this bemoaning. The ones who are following, a, a, shall we say, a, a straighter course uh, seem to be doing, uh, shall we say, a lot less complaining and, and, and getting their cash just fine. There's a, there's a lot of room for improvement and fine-tuning in these regulations. Okay. Uh, a lot of these regulations might be too tough, too burdensome for small banks. Ah. Small banks don't impose the risks to the overall financial system. Oh, I see. Yes, the yes. big banks do. So, so yeah, a lot can be done there. But uh, so if you put one set of regulations, obviously the, the the bank that needs a little more flexibility down, you know, the the, the local Main Street bank is is going to get tarred with the same brushes as the. Uh, much more dangerous one. Right. And Dodd-Frank has put in place thresholds Ah, okay. in terms of size, risk, and, and, and burden of regulation. That okay. could be changed and fine-tuned. Mm -hmm. mm -hmm. But uh, we certainly don't want to undo regulation to the point that we run into the accumulations of financial risk that yeah. we had yeah. in 2007. Right, right. So let's not backpedal too much. Good. I'm 100% with you. If you are, if you've just joined us, you're listening to the Art of the CEO, which every Tuesday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time streams magically through the amazingly misunderstood realms of cyberspace, where you may download this episode and all of it by simply visiting theartoftheceo.com. That's theartoftheceo.com. We're on several other stations, but this is the easiest way to get hold of us. Howard. Uh, the, this is a this is the big one. I think the the Fed has a balancing act in this policy. That is, you you've got the goal of keeping sustainable growth. We all want the country to grow, and at the same time, you want price stability. Oh, uh, and uh, and you're to to get this, you're sort of trying to feel out the how the average American family is spending, which I think is, has no logic to it whatsoever. So how do you how do you keep that balancing act? Yeah, Bart, I think you've got it in terms of talking about a balancing act. Mm -hmm. But it's not so much a question of second-guessing individual households, uh -huh. uh, their decisions and their spending habits. Uh, the Fed's focus is on the overall economy, sure. the pie, the right. big picture. So the idea of sustainable growth is to increase the size of the national pie of goods and services, bring it up to its full co productive capacity, but then it's up to the market system. Mm -hmm. Leaves it up to households. Right. Uh -huh. And leaves it up to firms on how to allocate that pie. And if we you... want to make sure that pie is growing to our full capacity and that we're not getting inflation. And that's and that's where the that's that magical pinpoint of, of the perfect economy and when people talk about the Fed it's usually when when they are personally having a tough financial time. <laughs> but, um, well, now, uh, the other thing that the, the Fed does, I know is uh, not specifically listen, but you, uh, there's another finger in the policy, and that is you've tried to keep uh, 
full, you, you set the stage, I would say, for full em employment. How does the Fed go about encouraging that, encouraging full employment? How can, how can, what can you do? Well, imagine a central bank that is overly fixated on price stability. Mm -hmm. You could have financial conditions, interest rates so high, financial conditions ah. so tight that the economy is motoring along below its full potential. In other words, and I you, couldn't get the money to expand. I can't hire the people. I can't write. And the, so and the economy is not reaching its full potential. Huh. Uh, that's why Congress, in the Full Employment Act of 1946, uh -huh. and later on in the Humphrey-Hawkins Act, said that the Federal Reserve should seek price stability and support maximum sustainable growth. Run the economy kind of as hot as it can without without Run the economy as without getting our fingers burned. Right. <laughs> now the Fed doesn't control the potential output of the economy. What's, no, what's the what determines potential output? The growth of your labor force. Right. The productivity of that labor force. Resources, lest we forget. Uh, cap cap uh, capital capacity. Right. Uh huh. What about the productivity of your labor force? Good health, ah, good education, okay. skills, mm -hmm. mobility, flexibility. All of those things are outside the purview of the monetary authority. Right. But they generate the potential capacity of the economy. The central bank's job is to get you as close as possible to the potential size of that pie without... Generating inflation. So basically, you've got you've got several you've got several parties, several factors trudging up to the well, and they we want them to be strong enough, healthy enough, and have have big enough buckets. But you make sure that there's water in the well. Good way to put it, Bart. Okay. So uh, with your pocket and mind jingling with interest in the Federal Reserve. It's time to pause, I believe, and let's take a brief survey from this Feast of Wisdom and allow me to present the company by whose good graces we're here today, and today that firm is Leadership USA. Now, this is an organization that's energetically devoted to unleashing human potential. It's one of the reasons I, I think it's great. And now imagine, if you will, that you're sitting at a table with business's top masters. I, I mean the real players. These are the ones who are given literally blank checks from Fortune 100 CEOs across the globe to bring forth the information and the training that they have. And continue your fantasy and imagine that, that you're in a special club where all these world-class profit-making mentors are coming to you and your whole staff, and they're sharing their wisdom in nice half-day seminars. All this productive training is rolled out for your team, and all the sages are in one faculty, and you as a club member get to choose who and what topics come to you. And that is what Leadership USA is doing for you and your firm. So, if you want to find a little career fulfillment and want to find a way to make your business grow, may I suggest that you visit the website leadershipusa.biz and find just where the best possible advice is. And take a look, because my friend, we all can use some good counsel. And speaking of wise and mysterious leadership moves, uh, please join me as we return to the great Gordian Unsnarler, Assistant VP of the Fed, Mr. Howard Howe, 
who is going to lay straight the ways of the Federal Reserve for us mere mortals here. <laughs> Howard, I know the Fed has seven government-appointed board members, and that's, that's what you started off with, yes. and, right? And you've got 12 regional banks that, that sort of uh, that move this complex monetary policy out uh, into action. But I've heard you say that it's New York that really makes the policy happen. Why New York? What's special? Well, uh, New York has been designated as the agent oh. of this committee that you described of the governors and the presidents of the 12 reserve banks. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, why has New York been designated the agent? They have the, I know, I know that one. They have the oldest customs, they have the biggest customs house in the entire states, and we've had many presidents who came from the customs house because they were very rich. No. Well, it's because of New York's... Yeah. Oh, well. It sounds good. Yeah, right. But uh, New York is is in the middle of the largest financial markets. Yeah, right. So okay. it's that proximity and the ability to deal with what we call the primary dealers. Yeah, yeah. And uh-huh. New York is the agent of the committee in buying and selling government securities with mm-hmm. those primary dealers. Right. And the primary dealers are, with of course, the exchange, the big board, and Nasdaq, and so forth. But also the the actually uh, the not, banks. Not, it's it's it is banks. Right. Uh, the big uh, uh, something like twenty some primary dealers, mm-hmm. a financial house, usually a bank, uh, could be a bank holding company, mm-hmm. has to certify with the New York Fed that it's ready to make markets, that it will participate in auction sales, mm-hmm. and a number of other market-making practices, uh, then when the Federal Open Market Committee, seven governors and and 12 reserve bank presidents, decides it's time to withdraw funds Mm -hmm. from the private marketplace, Uh at their direction, the New York Fed then sells government securities to Uh these primary dealers, who then distribute it into the whole private financial sector. That withdraws cash and liquidity from the system. Sure. Well, now, uh, you you say there are 20 uh, major houses. 20-some. Yeah, 20-some. And most of them are are, uh, in the Big Apple? Um, Most of them, all of them would have Have an office in in, in New York. uh, But some of them are international Mm -hmm. banks. Of course, yeah, right. I mean, uh, I, uh, I understand the Bank of Moscow has put in a petition to become one of the brokers, right? I'm not familiar with that, but they they would have to uh, meet all of the conditions set forward to uh, (laughs) qualify as a market participant. (laughs) We're we're going to get off of a very deep political end here, so let's move on quickly. (laughs) And, uh, Howard, uh, let's move on to, to something that I know uh, concerns us all, and that's the the big leverage point of uh, the Fed, as far as I see it, interest rates. Now, on um, November 1st, I know the the Federal Open Market Committee that you mentioned decided to maintain target ranges for the federal funds at one to one and a quarter percent. First, how and why does the committee reach this decision? Okay, let's imagine pretty large table with 7 plus 12 representatives Mm -hmm. sitting around it, 
they have received, they would have received on Thursday and Friday before the meeting, right. briefing notes prepared by the Board of Governors staff. Right. Each one of those Reserve Bank presidents would have passed those briefing notes onto their economic staff. Right. Studied them over the weekend uh-huh. and come to Washington on Tuesday morning. Oh, boy. Ready to discuss economic conditions. And every fiscal year is to that door, right? Well, yeah, and as the, as the chair moves, just moves, passes the word around that table, uh, everyone listens pretty closely to the Federal Reserve President of Dallas if there are questions on energy prices or oil. Right. Uh, if there are international issues, uh, global markets, they'll probably be paying attention to what the President of the New York Fed has to say. Right, right. Uh, what about food prices? What about food shortages? What about upward or downward pressures on commodity prices? We'll be paying attention to the Federal Reserve Bank of Kansas City. Of course. Federal Reserve Bank of St. Louis. Right. So each of these presidents pays attention to the U.S. economic picture. They also bring insights geographically, regional markets, their individual sectors, and all that hooks into understanding what are conditions today and where should we move the rate or why should we keep the rate constant for now. Okay. That, I, I'm glad you, you you explained that because I think we, we all think it's a fiat. It's, it's like this year's fashion is going to be this hemlines going up. You know, it, it's not it, – it doesn't work that way. It, it's very, very you, – you, it, seems, it seems like there is a seeping tide of input it comes in and uh, to uh, compromise out a decision. Right. This committee meets regularly eight times a year. Okay. So they have to look forward to the long run. They're worried about the U.S. economy, inflationary pressures, sure, sure. potential output, expected job growth two, three, four years out. Uh-huh. So they've got the long view in mind. Right. And they are tuning that with day-to-day conditions uh, this, on these uh, eight eight times a year meetings. Oh. Well, now, how does that, says so okay, the arm comes down, the fiat is tossed uh, one to one and a quarter percent. How does that ripple out into the nation's economy? Okay. That target rate that they set is an overnight lending rate among banks. Okay. Right. So uh-huh. your bank would like to borrow from my bank $10 million. Right. Uh-huh. Just overnight, just mm-hmm. to tune its balance sheet. Right. Mm-hmm. You would do that on the federal funds rate, which mm-hmm. is the target set by the Federal Open Market right. Committee. That fund print, that Fed funds rate is the anchor for the term structure of interest rates. So every single, uh, it's, it's not a tree, it's a shrub. It comes out every little branch of every little uh, fi- uh, fiscal loan uh, numeric number uh, n- numeric decision is based branches out shrubs out. Love that. So if the overnight rate goes up, mm-hmm. you'll see an effect on one month, three months, twelve right. months, one year, all, all the way out the to term CDs to thirty-year mortgages and thirty-year right. Treasury bonds. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That term structure. Tends to be upward sloping. Yeah, right. Okay. 
But one month money is higher than overnight money. Three right. months money is more costly than one month money. Yeah, yeah, right. Uh huh. If I lend you money overnight, I know I'll get it back tomorrow. Well, at least you know where I live. If I lend you money for a year, I, could I write... want compensation right. for uh -huh. not seeing my money for another year. So right. yeah. I want a higher rate for that. Particularly if I write you one of my famous checks. Made me popular in the post office. Well, now you're talking about the risk premium. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Oh, my. Oh, Howard, I think uh, there's there's so much more I, I, I want to ask you, but there, I think I just want to follow up with one final question, and that is if I was a, a young, economically-minded person uh, and I was thinking that I wanted to, that the Fed might be a nice way to serve my government and, and gain a career, how would I go about it? What what sort of talents and expertises is the Fed looking for among the people who join it? Fed has great jobs. Oh, really? The okay. Fed needs people in economics, uh -huh. finance, mm -hmm. information science, mm. business operations, and uh, all the reserve banks and the reserve board, too, posts all their career opportunities on their websites. Mm -hmm. uh, easy to find. Uh -huh. uh, and these are really good jobs. Oh, okay. You work with smart people. Mm -hmm. uh, you get pushed ahead. You learn a lot, and uh, you do good for the country. Also, that's great, Howard. Thank you so much for coming on. I I have found myself woefully enlightened, or rather egregiously enlightened, from uh, my many pre misconceptions I held before. So this is really great. I hope that you'll be willing to come back and, and join us again. Would you do that? Bart, I had a great time. You're a good conversationalist. <laughs> you ask great questions. So uh, I'm ready to come back at your invitation. Thank you right. very much. Well, we'd love to have you. So now as we round out today's feast, uh, I am Bart Jackson, your curator of business wisdom, leaving you with today's business quotation, and that is, who was it who said, if at first you don't succeed – Take the tax loss. Uh, that, and as a hint, uh, the author of that quote the, the, the found, was the founder of the digital broadcasting giant MDA America. And believe me, this individual has more than made up for his, his or her own losses. And remember, if you know the author of this quote, simply scribble, scribble that sage's name down as you believe him or her to be to win yourself a career-igniting gift from the dungeons of Bart's Books Bookstore. And be sure to tune in next week as we take uh, an in-depth dive into the world of accounting, I mean sensible accounting, with veteran CFO Eileen Sathalas, who explains the, the best use of your accounting systems and how to best use and how to best choose the right accountants and all the gold that you're going to leave behind if you don't. And uh, do tune in for that. And as a parting shot, in the words of my wife's husband, isn't it amazing that those who have the most success seem to have uh, some new product innovation and personal communication with their customers? No. No, it's really not very amazing at all. And to you who, are, who have gleefully shared our feast, I hope you've enjoyed the art of the CEO as much as Howard and I have enjoyed bringing it to you. And remember that you may download this and all our shows by visiting theartoftheceo.com. And finally, to you, who have honored us with your time, 
I want to say it has been a privilege, and I thank you. <laughs>